Well, this morning we are kicking off a brand new sermon series um, where we're going to be going through the gospel of Matthew together. And uh, if you didn't get one in your seat, uh, does everybody have one of these? We put them in every other seat um, and we have some extras around. So if you don't have one, uh, look on the row in front of you or on the row behind you. Grab one of these. Um, Here is uh, the gospel according to Matthew. Uh, This is an English Standard Version scripture journal of it. And inside you'll also find a bookmark with a reading plan in there. And uh, this is our gift to you this morning. So we want you to take this home. And during this next season, we're going to be reading it together. And we're kicking off this sermon series, looking at the gospel of Matthew, really in the season of Lent, leading up to Easter, and we're going to wrap up the week after Easter. We're doing this for a few reasons, and we've given you the, the reading God for a few reasons. And number one is we want to be a church that is rooted in God's Word and led by the Spirit of God. And so I believe that as we dive deeper into the Scriptures together and pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Scriptures and for God to speak to us through them, I believe that God will do that. And so we want to make it simple for you. So we've given you your very own copy. And, um, you know, you can read it on your phone. You can read it however. You don't have to read this exact version. We just want to equip you and empower you to read God's Word. And so you'll also see the the reading guide in there. It starts tomorrow, so you're not behind yet. We know some of you might have said you want to read the Bible in a year in January, and you've already fallen off the wagon. That's okay. Welcome back. Or you might have had a devotional practice and It's kind of gone by the wayside. We want to, you know, when I go to the gym, I like to be told what to do. I don't like to go in there and have to figure it out. And so tomorrow morning, you don't have to figure out what to do with your your quiet time and your devotional time. You can read it uh, in Matthew chapter 1, 1 to 17 tomorrow. And Saturdays and Sundays are not on here, so you can use those days to catch up. And during the sermon series, uh, we're going to be touching on readings um, that you're going to be hitting as well. And so we want to make it easy for you, so we've given you that reading guide. And then, um, finally, we've given this to you because we want you to uh, not just read the Scripture, but if you notice, on, on the, the right side of the page, there are, is a journal. So you can make notes, you can circle things. We don't want you to just read. We also want you to ruminate on the Scripture. And you might be familiar with how people ruminate, but my friend J.D. Wall, in one of his devotionals, he talked about how cows ruminate also. Last week, y'all got a livestock lesson. I'll give you another one this week. Cows ruminate, and the way cows ruminate is uh, a cow will eat, you know, grass or whatever, and then cows have four stomachs, and so what they'll do is they'll eat the grass. It'll go in a stomach. They'll begin to digest it, extract the goodness out of it, and then do you know what they do after that? They kind of regurgitate it back up, and then they keep chewing it. And they keep extracting more goodness. They have that, that cud and then they swallow it again and they, they, they digest it and they keep going to, to extract every ounce of nutrients and goodness out of that food. And what I want you to think about as you're reading and as you're journaling and writing in here, I want you to think about how cows ruminate and I want you to do that with the scriptures. I want you to, to read them. Maybe in the morning is when works best for you and make notes, write questions. And then during the day, Think about how God might be speaking to you through the Scriptures. And then maybe read it again at night. Keep it in your mind. Keep processing it over and over. Don't just read it and check it off the list and count it down. We want you to read and ruminate on the Scriptures. And so this is our our gift to you. And if you open it up in here, uh, you'll see on the cover and then uh, on the first page, it says, The Gospel According to Matthew. And... uh, 
in, in the, the gospel itself, it doesn't say, hey, this was written by Matthew, but, but since the earliest days in the church, uh, the church fathers have said that Matthew wrote this. And if you're, if you're familiar with, with Matthew, you might know that he's one of the 12 disciples. He was a Jewish tax collector. He had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus changed his life. And so he was an eyewitness to many of the events in Jesus' ministry. He was an eyewitness to those things, and he has written them down. And for generations, people have been reading the gospel, learning about Jesus. And if you notice in the New Testament, is the first of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And one scholar says that's because it is in the first gospel in many people's hearts. Because in Matthew, we have a beautiful Christmas story. We have the Sermon on the Mount, all these other great teachings from Jesus. We have the crucifixion, his death, a beautiful scene of the resurrection. And so you kind of have the whole picture of Jesus' life here. And Matthew is really writing to help answer one big question. And that question is this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And in here, we're going to find Matthew's answer. And my hope as we read together is that you'll also answer that question for yourself. You'll be able to say at the end of this series, who is Jesus to you? Because that is an important question for your life. So this morning, let's begin Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. I'll just tell you a little trick here. When it comes to biblical names, if you say them like you know how they're pronounced, people believe you. So I don't, I don't know much, much better than you do on how to pronounce them. I'm just trying my best here. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltiel, and Shiltiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. 
And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And this is the word of God for the people of God. So I don't know how many of you watch Netflix. How many of you watch Netflix in here? A lot of you. There's two types of people when it comes to Netflix. There's a type of people who, if we go to the next slide, immediately click skip intro. They don't like the intro. They don't like the recap from last season. They don't want to hear the same little one-minute song each week. They want to just get right to the action. And then there are other people who need a little recap. They want to know the background. They like the familiar introduction each week. How many of you are people who immediately click skip intro? Okay. Now, when it comes to the Bible, there's two types of people as well. There's the people who are like the skip intro people. And when it comes to a passage like we just read, it's like, you know what, skip that. Let's get to the birth of Jesus Christ, okay? Why is that in there? This is like the names going on Netflix. We don't need them. We don't care about them. Skip intro. Let's just get to it. I mean, there's two types of people. Let's be honest. When you come to a genealogy in the Bible, how many of you just kind of rush past it and you're thinking, I'm not, I don't know about all these names? I'll admit, a lot of times I, I do that too, okay? But if we're starting with the Gospel of Matthew, I, I don't think we can skip the intro verses here. I don't think we can skip this stuff before Jesus' birth because here, here's the deal. I believe Matthew included it in his gospel on purpose for a purpose. And it's easy for us to just skip past it as, as modern people because we come to a family tree and, and in our age of Facebook and photo albums, family trees and genealogies, they just don't mean that much stuff to us anymore. I mean, yeah, we might be interested in like Ancestry.com once in our lifetimes. But other than that, we're thinking, you know what? I know a lot of my crazy family members, and I don't really want a map of them, okay? I just want to put them back in the back. But for ancient people, and really people even generations before us in recent history, family trees and genealogies were a very important part of culture. Because family trees and genealogies, as people look to the past, it helped them, them understand their identity in the present. And so families would gather around campfires and they would tell stories about their ancestors, about their great-grandparents, about where people had come from, where they had migrated from, the accomplishments of their their family. And it gave them a sense of, of who they were in the world. It helped orient them and root them in their lives. And it only did that for families. I mean, it also was a way like families judged other families by their family tree. And if you grew up in a small town, maybe you experienced this as well. Like you started dating one of the Anderson boys and your mom said, I don't know about those Anderson boys, you know, because they had a reputation in the county. And you knew about cousin Ricky Anderson and all these other people. And you're thinking, I don't know about that. And, And maybe you hung out with your friend and he was a Smith boy. And your parents said, oh, he's a Smith. You can hang out with him all you want. Those are good people. You know what I'm talking about? Those are good people. Family trees and genealogies were a way that people had identity. It was a way they they kind of oriented themselves in the world. And, And Matthew gives us this family tree of Jesus to help us understand who Jesus is. That's the big question that he's writing to us about. And and this family tree does help us understand who Jesus is, even though we want to rush past it. And one of the, the, the first things that this family tree of Jesus tells us 
is this. It's that Jesus, he didn't just appear out of nowhere. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus' story is part of a bigger story. Because sometimes today, especially modern, modern Christianity where we're not that interested in, in church history and biblical history and stuff, a lot of times we can think, you know what, 2,000 years ago Jesus just appeared. God randomly just said, you know what, let's do it, and sent Jesus into the world. But Matthew wants us to stop and to realize that Jesus didn't just haphazardly come into this world. Jesus' story is an intergenerational story. It is a story of God at work since the very beginning of time. And Jesus is the culmination of that story. And so when we see all these names in here, N.T. Wright, he's a great theologian of the church. He says that when the original uh, Jews were, were hearing the gospel, because a lot of times it would have been passed down orally, and then when they began reading it, that when they started reading this list of names, it, it would have been like a drum roll for them. As they heard Abraham, Jacob, Jesse, David, Solomon, it would have been like a drum roll, and they would have been thinking, okay, who's next? Who's coming down the line? Because they knew that these were powerful people. These were influential people. They knew that 2 Samuel chapter 7, God had told David that the Messiah was going to come through his family lineage. And so they would have been thinking, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the family tree of the one we've been waiting for. And Matthew wants people to know this is it. This is the long-promised, long-awaited Messiah that God had promised His people, the one who was going to come in the world and rescue His people, make things right and rule over them. Matthew wants people to see this is it. It is just as God has promised and God has foretold and God has prepared from generations past. Now the time has come. Jesus didn't just show up on the scene. He is the fulfillment of God's promises and He is here. And so those original readers, they would have been thinking, okay, this is it. They would have been excited with this introduction. They would have said, okay, this is perhaps the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let's keep reading. I want to hear this story. They would have leaned in closely. But there's something else interesting with this family tree when you look at it closer. And you kind of check out some of the the names here of who's included and, and who's not included. And when, when you look at who's included and who's not included, things get interesting because obviously this isn't every relative of Jesus. This isn't every single person on his family tree. Matthew has selected some people. Some people are there and some people aren't. And, you know, we do the same thing with our family trees. You know, sometimes we... We tell other people about people on our family tree, and other times we just don't, don't mention them. I mean, maybe you have like a crazy cousin at family gatherings. You don't, you don't tell everybody you're related to him. Or you have a cousin who's known in the community. Maybe he's been in and out of jail, and you're like, you know, maybe, maybe you're a little ashamed of him. You're like, you know, I, I just don't want to be associated with them. Or maybe you have some distant relatives. This week I was, I was talking to Emily's father, Doug, and it's my wife's father, and he is the family genealogist on her side. Now, in my side of the family, it's my grandmother. I don't know if this is just unique to my family. Do all your families have like one person who's interested in genealogy in the family tree and none of y'all care? Okay, are you the genealogist in here? Raise your hand if you're the genealogist. We're going to have you track. Okay, yeah. I, okay, yeah. So if you want to know about your family and all the baggage, you can ask them and they'll dig it up for you. So I, I said, Doug, I said, who on 
Emily's family tree is the person like that has a reputation, maybe, you know, is not not the most savory of characters. And he began to tell me about John Perkins Rawls Sr. I think we have his photo here. Born in 1822, Greensboro, Georgia. Went to med school in Augusta, then moved to Gaston, Alabama, where he was a doctor, a Methodist minister, actually. Eight children. So far, so good. And then he went on to say, well, he was a member of the, the Alabama state legislature when they voted to secede. He was a slaveholder. He was a proponent of segregation, and he opposed Reconstruction. And so when it comes to somebody like John Perkins Rawls Sr., you know, when, when Patrick has to do a book report on a relative, like we're probably not going to give him this guy to go to his school class and tell them about. We're going to be like, you know what, let's give him somebody else. We just don't want all the complicated conversations and stuff. We'd probably tell them about, instead of this guy, we'd probably leave him out and tell about maybe Caleb Rawls, who is another one of Patrick's relatives, my wife's relatives, who invented a strain of the apple called the Rawls apple, which when mixed with the Red Delicious makes the Fuji apple, right? That's a cool story. One of our ancestors helped make the, the Fuji apple that you buy in the grocery store today. We're like, you know what? That's a good person to do a book report on for like kindergarten, okay? Not John Perkins. Well, we're just going to like leave him out. Like there's some people a lot of times you'll like lean in and tell everybody about that one, maybe lean out, not tell everybody about that one. And you would think that when it comes to, to Jesus' family tree, like Matthew would want to include all of the amazing people, the people who've done great things that are, that are praiseworthy and leave out people who maybe, you know, had a little baggage or maybe you could think of as broken branches on the family tree. But Matthew doesn't do that. He actually includes some underdogs, some outsiders, some people you wouldn't typically find on the family tree. And we see that most with the, with the women in Jesus' family tree. We have a list here. We'll put on the screen for you. It wasn't that common to have women listed in a family tree. So it's significant that Matthew lists them here. And he, he, he mentions Tamar, who was a widow twice over, who was impregnated by her dead husband's father while she was dressed as a prostitute on the side of the road. That's a little complicated, isn't it? And then you have Rahab. Rahab in the Old Testament is known as a prostitute who hid Hebrew spies. New Testament, she's labeled as a harlot. You have Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite who was a group of people. They weren't Israelites. They were actually a lot of times considered their enemies, and they were known as idolaters. And so she was a Moabite, and so it's not that common to have someone like her on the family tree. And then you have Bathsheba. Bathsheba's not even named in the genealogy, genealogy directly. It just says the wife of Uriah. Now, if you know anything about Bathsheba, it's a bit of a complicated story. This is the woman King David saw and said, I want her. They had an adulterous relationship together. She got pregnant. And then he was like, oh, she's married. And her husband's out on the battlefield. Okay, let's just get him killed. So like, had her husband killed and they had a baby. And so that's complicated, a bit of a scandal. And then you have Mary. And like we think of, of the Virgin Mary now and we lift her up as a as a person of obedience and surrender to God. But back then, she was a poor young peasant from a podunk town who was having a baby when she wasn't married and claimed she hadn't had relations with anybody. Not exactly a, a character that was looked up to at every moment of her life. And Matthew, he could have, he could have put all sorts of other women on the family tree or 
included other people, but that's just the women. I mean, a lot of these men, if you look in their stories, they got stories too. And so it's noteworthy that Matthew, he didn't clean up Jesus' family tree. He included some of the complicated people, the complicated situations, and the broken branches because he wanted us to see right from the very beginning that Jesus came from a broken and complicated family for people with broken and complicated families. He wanted us to see that Jesus didn't come from an upper middle class background of respectability where everybody had it together. He wanted you and me to see that Jesus, he didn't come from from perfect people and he didn't come for perfect people. He came for people like you and me. Broken people who are in need of a savior. Broken people who are in need of saving. So this morning, if you feel like you kind of have a broken life, Jesus came for you. That's the good news. If you came in here anxious, depressed, downtrodden, worried about everything going on in the world, Jesus came for you. If you came in here and you feel like, you know what, the stuff I've done in my life, I'm disqualified. I'm disqualified from being loved by Jesus or being used by God in this world. Jesus came for you. If you feel like your life is boring and you don't have a sense of purpose, Jesus came for you. If you feel unworthy, Jesus came for you. Jesus came, thank you. Jesus came from a broken group of people. While he himself was sinless, his family tree has plenty of sin on it. He came from those people. He came for people like us. He came so that we could be part of his family. And I don't know about for you, but that's good news for me. And so my invitation this morning is it's pretty simple. It's an invitation for you to come on this journey with us. To spend this next season in the Gospel of Matthew looking at who Jesus is. If you're watching online, DM us your address. We'll mail you a copy. I want to invite you to come on this journey with us because I believe that as you open up the words of Scripture, as you read them, I believe that God will meet you. And God has the power to transform your life. I know that's the story of one of my friends, Juan Quintanilla. Juan, he grew up in Mexico. And one day when he was studying, his sister found a a pile of books by the trash. So she brought all the books in, put them on the bookshelf. And he felt drawn to one book and and he, he saw that it was a Bible. And for some reason, he, he just wanted to read it. He wanted to read it. He wanted to study it. So he began reading it and studying it and ruminating upon it. And, and he, he learned who Jesus was. And he said, I, I, want, I want to know this Jesus. I want to give my life to him. He surrendered his life to Jesus. And now Juan is actually a Methodist pastor in the Atlanta area. But then I have another friend. And this is a friend I went to college with. And he, he told me one time, he said, Whenever my mom comes to visit me at college, he said, I, I hide my liquor, take down my posters, 
And he said, and she gave me a Bible when I was younger. And he said, I put the Bible on my nightstand so that she thinks I read it. And then she's always, you know, complimenting him. Oh, I'm so glad you're such a good son reading your Bible. And he, he didn't read that Bible. He didn't read that Bible during those years. I, I pray that he does now, but the Bible just sat there. And it didn't, it didn't do much good for him. And I would say during those years, he missed out on God's best for his life. And this morning, I, I want to say to you, I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to miss out on all that God has for you. So I want to invite you to journey with us. To dive deeper into who Jesus is. Maybe you feel like you already have an idea. Maybe, maybe you've just heard from other people. I want you to dive in for yourself and journey with us. Because I truly believe that Jesus came for each and every one of you here in this room. And so let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you haven't left us alone in the world, but that you have you sent him in the fullness of time to fulfill your promises. You sent him to rescue us and to rule over us with true love, true justice, true mercy, and true peace. So this morning, we, we want to say to you, we, we want to know more about your son and we want to follow him with more clarity and with more obedience in the days ahead. So God, we pray that you would be with us as we go on this journey, that you would speak to us, that you would give life to us and our church, and that you would help us to be faithful followers of your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask all of this in his holy name.